You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Chris gets up here and preaches for us. Um, he's going to preach about some relational aspects of our faith. And parts of this prayer kind of came to me this week just out of some of that relational difficulty and like feeling sort of inadequate in representing Christ to people and talking to people. Um, so this is some of the stuff I found is incorporated into this prayer. So I think it'll be good for us. Father God, you are our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, but you utter your voice, Lord, and the earth melts. May we continue to clap with our hands, all peoples shout to you, God, with loud songs of joy. For you are the Lord most high, and you are to be feared, a great king over all the earth. We all fear, Father, um, different things, death and shame and tragedy and suffering. Um, We fear these things for ourselves and for our friends and for our family. But the fear of the Lord is a right perspective on fear. It's a a freedom from all the other things that we're afraid of, Father. Um, Our eyes are continually trying to be on you, but however, we, we don't do that very well. Um, so there's all sorts of these other things that we fear, Lord. So help us this morning to root out some of those fears, to bring them to light so that we can repent of them. Um, maybe something that we fear, Lord, is approval of man and what other people think of us. Uh, Proverbs tells us that the fear of man, and the fear of man lies a snare. Uh, but we as your people do not need to fear man. You've promised many things, and among the things that you've promised us, Father, is that you won't forsake us, and that you'll be with us to the end of the age, and that you give us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and a spirit of love and of self-control. So we really can confidently say that the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear. What can man do to me? Um, As Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body but not the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul. Uh, But... Whoever trusts in you, Lord, is safe. Uh, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it and is safe. Um, May we continue in these things that we have learned in the scriptures, uh, because they they can make us wise for salvation, uh, rather than these worldly teachers, as we talked about recently, that we accumulate to suit our different passions, because they're out there, uh, politicians and talk show hosts and self-help gurus, even scholars with incredible minds that would marvel at your creation but deny your power, deny your hand in it all, deny your design. Sometimes, oftentimes, all we can see is opposition and oppression and impossible circumstance. Uh, And in this, we see and feel our own weakness and we feel out of control and we feel helpless. But when Paul felt this, you told him that your grace was sufficient for him and that your power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, Therefore, This was his response, so that he would boast all the more gladly in his weakness, um, so that the power of Christ may rest upon him. And for the sake of Christ, 
he would be content with weakness and insults and hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, he said, then I am strong. Our weakness, Father, points to our need for a savior. Without that weakness, we are without the indicator. We can't rely on our own strengths. Uh, we can't rely on our own wisdom or the wisdom of man, but the message of Christ and him crucified is salvation by sheer grace. Thank you, Father God. Prepare us each this morning to hear from you, to learn of you. Um, if we're distracted, give us focus. If we don't know you, reveal yourself. If we are feeling particularly broken or depressed or anxious this morning, uh, we pray that you would remind us of hope. Not a hope as the world would often define it as a long shot or a far-off dream, but an assured hope, a guarantee that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, and that you love us, which is a pretty incredible combination of things. Uh, so we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nate. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Chris. If uh, you don't know me, I think I've met most everybody in here. But if not, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Red Sea. And uh, as we begin, I just want to say, I know, I know Josh said it already, but happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Um, you are very much appreciated. And uh, without you, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> and uh, without your love and your, your grace, as I was talking to, to Rex just a moment ago, uh, our moms teach us how to be gentle and teach us about some compassion and love. Um, there's this different aspect that mothers bring that, that fathers don't bring all the time. And so uh, we're very thankful for you. Uh, so thank you, moms. Um, <clears throat> so this morning I'm going to be taking us through as we are continuing on in a, a new, uh, new series that we just started last week, uh, Faith Cubed. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, with that, I'm going to start with a quote. Um, most of you may have heard it, uh, but just in case, so uh, it says, We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he who sheds his blood with me today shall be my brother. So this is a quote from William Shakespeare's play, Henry V, and what is happening in here, I haven't seen the whole play, so I don't claim like knowledge of what he's totally talking about here, but I love this quote. Um, I think that there's great motivation within this quote. There's intentionality within this quote. But what he's doing here, the context is he's, uh, Henry V is getting ready to lead his men into battle. They're going to, they're going to war against the, the French, I believe. Anybody out there who knows William Shakespeare? Um, and so they're going to, to fight this battle and they're super discouraged. They're unsure what's going to happen. The, the French are a mighty, much mightier warriors than the English um, in this context. And so, uh, they're not sure what's going to happen. So what he's doing is when he's giving him this speech and he's saying this, this is kind of how he summarizes at the, at the end of this, this long dialogue of what he says. He's, he's motivating them. He's trying to say, hey, let's go forth. We are brothers in arms and we're going to go forth and we're going to fight this battle, uh, victory or not. And so quite the motivational text. But why, why start here? Why start with a, a text like that? Well, because we've just kicked off this series, and, and we're going through, and now with, uh, this, this next sermon today is, is on relationship, relational. And so what we're going to be trying to do this morning is motivation towards relationship and towards relational. Um, many of the, the men and women in the church are going through RET, uh, Relational Elders Training, which is uh, this series that we're going through is to complement that. We're not, it's not uh, a repetition of it, but it's to complement that what we're going through. 
And so um, in that, we're going to be talking about what it is to be relational in our faith. And so with that, um, uh, I'm not going to quench the spirit here. And so I'm going to have a confession to start that, to start off. Um, I don't feel very relational with my faith right now. Um, I think that if you were to ask me a couple of years ago, or if you were to ask uh, generally just people within the church who would say, yeah, we're relational. We, we know one another. We're friends. And I know your name and your kids' names and where they go to school and maybe that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, over this last year, life has been really hard for my wife and my family and myself, health-wise and physically. And that has been me question a lot of, is God relational? Are we as a people being relational? How has that impacted our family? How has that impacted my perception of God? And so I want to confess that to you, that I'm working through this, and and in all honesty, like, this is the last message that I want to have to give this morning, (laughs) Um, because it's it's a little raw, and it's uncomfortable, um, and it makes me nervous. Like, I I love you you all here, and I don't want to be harsh with you, or offensive, uh, or mean, but in God's sovereignty, I'm up here this morning, and I'm the one talking about this. So, so we're going we're gonna to do what we're going to do here. And so um, with that as well, we're, we're going to do something that I'm not a huge fan of. This is a little bit of a, a topical series that we're going through. And so with that, um, we're going to jump into a text kind of right in the middle of it. Um, typically, what we do here at Red Sea is we work sequentially through a book, like we've been through Genesis, and we started at the beginning, and we worked to a point and stopped, and then we're going to go back to it. We just finished a series through First Peter, where we started at the beginning, worked all the way through. Um, but the text that we're going to be going through, as we're going to jump into the middle to this morning, is First John. And so I'm a little more comfortable with that because of the way that First John is structured. First um, John is written by John, one of the apostles, and the way that he wrote it is more circular in structure and thematic in meaning. It's not linear like you have to start at the very beginning to understand the point um, later on in the text. It goes through chunk by chunk in paragraphs. So that's, that's like a really good way to read John 2. If you, if you are jumping into it, there's paragraph thematic themes. And then he also comes back to it as he goes back and forth, back and forth. And so with that, that's why I feel a little more comfortable jumping into 1 John 4 here. And so we're going to jump into it. And, and I didn't just willy-nilly pick, pick 1 John out of the air. Um, as we were going through this, and I was talking with Royce about preparing for it and um, kind of some of the stuff that we're going to do this morning with Pathways and, and walking through that a little bit, I read through all of the scriptural references for um, some of these Pathways identities. And the one that, that kind of just struck me and kept sticking out was 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And the reason that it just continued to stick out to me is because it had all of these different aspects of it, um, of what, who we are as people. Um, We are servants, family, and ambassadors, and we do that by drawing to Christ, developing community, and deploying into culture. And so that is all all there within this 1 John 4 passage. So we're going to go ahead and jump into that right now. So would you please stand with me as we read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. The words are also going to be on the screen as we go this morning. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, 
because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You may be seated. Love. This is a pretty short text that we're going to be going through here. In these five short verses that John uses this word love 13 times and beloved twice. I think there's some importance here of what he's saying is love. And so, laid out here in this scripture as we're going to walk through um, is going to be the motivation for our relational faith. The source code of our relational faith and the means by which uh, it can, this relational faith can be felt and understood. So, uh, a question for you. You can respond to this. Um, it's a slow pitch, I think. What is our motivation for a relational faith? Love. Yes. <laughs> Love is the motivation for our relational faith. And so when you, when you hear the word love, what do, you, what do you tend to think of? You can, res- you can respond as well. What do you tend to think of when you think of love, the word love? What's that? Feelings. Feelings. Okay. Yep. What else? Sacrifice. Okay. What's that? Okay, there's no other word that equals love. Okay. Character. Okay. Showing care and compassion. All right. Intimacy. Yeah. Okay. So, love here, as he's talking about it, is, is a little different than what we think of. Some of it was, was brought up here as we have these words that we were talking about, but love as we generally think about it, as a culture and as a society, we think about it as something that is sentimental or uniquely emotional. Um, but that is, that is our understanding, our, our personal and our worldly understanding of love. It's not necessarily a biblical understanding of what love is. So the biblical understanding of what love is, is it's rich and it's deep and it's heartfelt and it's an intentional. And it's a love that is, that is unconditional It's a love that seeks the highest good of the one that is loved. And it's a total commitment. Okay? It is a love that is defined by and manifested in God. It's not a love that that we individually get to create and say, well, I'm going to use love to define, oh, I love this. I love pizza. Oh, pizza. I love pizza. Or I love tacos. Or, I love basketball. Or, you know, these random things that we use the word love for. But God is the one who defines and manifests love. So we can all have a general understanding of what love is, because as people, we're all created in the image of God. All of us. Man, woman, child, grown-up, you know, believer, non-believer. We're all created in the image of God. So within that, we have a general understanding of what love is. That's why we're able to, as we, we have that little time of sharing, of 
having a connection of what love is, what love means, what, how we feel love. But because we are broken image bearers from the fall, that, that perception of love can be tainted and can be, can be broken. So it gives us a vague understanding of what love is. However, if you are a Christian, then because of the indwelling presence of God within you through the work of the Holy Spirit, you can have an understanding of love that is totally unfathomable to anybody who is outside of Christ. <clears throat> and for those who don't know God. And we are able to do that because the love of God changes who we are at our core. Okay? So you see, when we think of love, or we, um, where do we think that love comes from? You know, love would say it's a feeling, it comes from our heart, like that is where we get our, our motivations and our desires, is from our hearts and what we're feeling. And, um, but, as if you've, you've been with us for a while, when we walk through the book of Genesis, what is the heart of man? Sinful. It seeks after its own selfish evil desires continually. So, how are we able to, um, to love from our hearts? Because God has changed who we are, okay? God came down in the person of Jesus, and by doing that, he's given us a new heart and a new motivation, all right? And how did he do that? By the manifestation of the source code, the manifestation of love. In verses 9 and 10, it says here, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So how are we able to love? How are we able to know what that is? Because it was made manifest. It wasn't just some ethereal thoughts or like good word that was said over again or this concept that was displayed. God came down as a person, a uniquely different person in bodily form. He sent his only son, Jesus, okay, this perfect, sinless man, the one true God-man that came down. And what happened because of that? We were all given a, a, the opportunity for a new life. Okay? We're given a gracious gift. And what type of love was this? What type of love was this that God did? It was an initiating kind of love. This love came first from God. God is the one that defined it. God is the one that manifested it. And God is the one that intentionally sought to display that love through Jesus. So God defined love. He made it happen. It's originating from him, but also it was a costly love, okay? What is our faith founded upon as Christians? Our faith is founded upon the fact that God loved us, that he sent Jesus into the world to be the satisfaction for our sins, that he would die on the cross and then rise again. And so this costly love, um, as it talks about here, it says propitiation, propitiation, uh, that's, that's not an everyday word that you hear, is it? No? All right. Propitiation, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a different word. Uh, the, the easiest way that I have to describe it is that it's a satisfaction. 
God has satisfied our record of debt and our wrong against him in the person of Jesus Christ. So God is a just God. And because of that, he can't just like wave a magic wand and make all of our sinful character or sinful actions just go away. Because if he did that, he wouldn't be God. All right? So what he had to do is there was a, a debt that had to be paid. That, that wrath had to be atoned for. And so all of that meets God's mercy, his grace, his wrath, his love, his anger for sin and for sinners. They all converge at the cross when Jesus hung there for us and died and shed his blood. <clears throat> so that's all good stuff, right? That shouldn't, anything, nothing that should be new, right? That's good. If we just end it there, you'd be like, yay, Jesus, thank you. But we have to connect that back. So we just can't stop here. So we've learned that the motivation for our relational faith is love, that the source of that love is God through Jesus. Um, but, but practically, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Verse 11. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we... Ought, uh, sorry. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God so loved us. There was an intentionality, a sacrificial, intentional, deliberate love that God had for us. He went to a height and a level that, that would be unfathomable to us. So what are we to do? We ought to love one another. Okay, that sounds pretty simple, right? But we can't glaze over that little five-letter word, ought. Okay, when you think of the word ought, what do you think of? Should, Should okay. Should, That'd be a good idea. Maybe if I get around to it. Implies that we're not. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Duty. That's right. So, ought is not a suggestion. Okay. The the definition of not and the way he's using it here, it is a direct obligation and a responsibility that we have. Okay. He's not saying. Well, if you have time for this, you should love one another. Or if it's convenient, you should love one another. Or if it makes you feel good, you should love one another. He's saying, no, Christ loved you sacrificially. He loved you in such a way that he sent, sorry, God loved you sacrificially, and he loved you in such a way that he sent Jesus to come down, live among you as a person, and then die to shed his blood that you might be reconciled back to God. So, you ought to love one another in the same way. So, ought connects those two thoughts and those two phrases. God loved us, so we ought to love one another. We are to love one another because God loved us, and it's not a suggestion. It's not something that we just get to be like, okay, yeah, that'd be great. It's, it's like, uh, as Christy was saying, it's a, it's a duty. It is a duty that we have if you profess this faith and you believe that Christ died for your sins and by that you have been changed and reconciled to him. There is a duty to love one another. Okay? And the manner in which we love one another, it's, it's, um, it's the way that God the Father loved us through sending Jesus. It's a sacrificial love. Sacrificial 
I think within church culture, we uh, kind of glaze over that word. It's a, it's a uniquely Christian, it's a uniquely biblical word. Okay, so sacrifice is a word that is meant for an offering. Okay, in the Old Testament, sacrifices are what had to happen to be able to get people, you know, right with God in a way. You think of all the, all the blood that was shed through animal sacrifices. Okay, why were they doing that? They were trying to make an offering to God. They were surrendering their possessions to God. They were surrendering their first fruits to God. So a sacrifice in the Old Testament, when you took an animal as a sacrifice, you weren't just supposed to take whatever, you know, animal was easiest to take. You were to take the first fruits, the one that you had raised from this tiny little calf. It was this great, amazing cow that you got all of your milk from, and you made your cheese and all these things, and it sustained you. That was the one that you were supposed to give to God, your first fruits. Not that three-legged one in the back that <laughs> you're just super annoyed with and is, it'd be a lot easier to just slaughter it and eat the meat. There might not be a lot of meat, but you, know, you get something from it. No, we're supposed to give our first fruits. And so um, in light of how I, how I started, just get the confession of not feeling relational and feeling feeling a little bit of disappointment and frustration with, with the experience that we've had over this last year. Um, and reading through this text and, and grappling with that, it has changed the way that my wife and I and um, now interact with one another, but also the way that we try to intentionally interact with you here in the church and with our family and with our friends. So a couple of examples um, of what it looks like to serve, what it looks like to love in this way. So um, I'm going to call out CJ and Mallory. They have bought a house recently. Uh, and if you have not been there yet, it is a complete fixer-upper style house. Um, it, it, it's going to be beautiful when it's done, but it's a lot of work, okay? It is a, it's a lot of work. And regularly, um, I've been going over there and helping them on the, on the Saturdays. And this is, you know, I like doing housework and I like being, um, crafty is not the word, what's Handy, there you go. I like being handy and doing physical things and stuff like that. You know, I like seeing things get done. You know, I like to be productive. And so there's joy in that and getting to do it. But also, it's a sacrifice to go over there and to, to, to serve CJ and Mallory every Saturday. It's not like I just went once and was like, all right, I checked the box. I loved them. Went away. No. And it's not easy work that you're doing here. They're, they're tearing down walls and they're re-drywalling stuff and CJ's up in the attic doing electrical with his, with his grandpa and we're relaying hardwood floor. Like, these aren't easy things that, that we're doing here, okay? It's hard and it can be frustrating and then you might have to take some time and think about it. Yesterday we were laying hardwood floor and we thought we started doing it right and then um, Mallory's brother comes out and he's like, well, have you thought about this? And we're like, oh no, we, we didn't think about that. We thought about it a different way. And then we had to replan and start over. Um, and so it's changed the way we did it. But, uh, so that's like all good, but it's a sacrifice too. So like I went yesterday and I went and helped out. Um, but I much rather would have stayed home, honestly. My wife had been traveling most of the week, the, the, half the week she'd been gone. I hadn't seen her. She'd just gotten back the night before at like 10, 10 at night. And then there, there was other fun things that I would like to do. It was, a, it was a beautiful sunny day. There was a St. John's parade going on, like, like all these things. 
But I had com- I, I've made this commitment to love them sacrificially. And that means not doing something else that I might enjoy or might be good. Okay? Uh, another example, we um, friends within our home community, Jackie and Brandon, they, their car broke down recently. And they asked to borrow one of our cars. You know, it seems like a simple enough thing. Uh, but that's a sacrifice as well. Like you're giving them a material possession and entrusting them with that, that, you know, they're going to bring it back in one piece. Um, I don't know their driving habits. I haven't driven with them a lot, so who knows? We'll see what happens. <laughs> but uh, so there's this material sharing, but then also it's a, it's a sacrifice because of that. Um, I had to get to Vancouver yesterday. We only had one car, so I took the car and still came to the parade with the kids. So she walked with the wagon. And so there's a sacrifice there. But then there's also ways that we have been served reciprocally through this. It's not like tit for tat, like I served you, so you served me. But we have been served greatly as well. Um, Go back as well, CJ and Mallory. So we, um, as I've been recovering from knee surgery and stuff, we had a need for help with childcare. And that is a a big ask to have somebody to help out, to watch our kids, uh, not just once or twice, but regularly. And we came before um, the elders in a little meeting that we had and, and talked about this need. And CJ went back and he's like, well, I don't, I'm not going to commit Mallory. I'll go talk to her and we'll see what happens. You know, she's, she's really busy. And we had offered to pay to have this help and all these things. We know that it's a sacrifice. It's not like we want somebody to freely care for our kids. But they went back and they talked and they prayed about it. And they came back and they offered once a week you know, almost kind of indefinitely, but there was a, a shorter timeline to it, to come over to our house and sacrifice Mallory's time to care for our children so that I could be doing physical therapy and rehabbing and my wife could go to work so we could pay the bills. Uh, and they offered to do that for free. Crazy, right? Like, they, they have a small daughter. They just bought a house that's taken all this money to fix up. It's crazy to do something like that. And then also, as I was recovering from surgery, and I was sitting there in bed, and that, that's a lonely thing, you know? My, <clears throat> the kids aren't going to be in bed with me because it would cause more damage than, than help, you know? Uh, I like to think beautifully, like, oh, I'm going to snuggle with my children, and I'm going to feel so encouraged. No, my youngest is like a little maniac who can't contain himself. <laughs> He's just bouncing off the walls all the time. Uh, but what happened? Josh came over almost weekly and sat with him there and talked with me. No, part of it was probably out of obligation. I was still doing the books, and he needed to bring me that stuff. But he could have easily just shown up and like, all right, here's, here's the bookkeeping. See you later. No, he likes, we sat there, and we talked. And he brought me some food, and we'd have lunch together, and um, those sorts of things. But you know, that was a sacrifice for him. He's a busy guy. He's got a wife and kids to take care of and all sorts of other crazy responsibilities with Red Sea. Uh, but it was a sacrifice. It was intentional. And so, I think what we, need, what we need to think about is changing the way that we interact with one another, changing the way that we serve. We have a relational faith. And we know the motivation. The motivation is love. We know the source. The source is God. And we know what we ought to do. We're to follow the example of sacrificial love that God gave us through Jesus but practically, what, what does that look like? Well, Royce created this beautiful diagram uh, that many of us may be sick of at times, but <laughs> it's very helpful and it's very practical. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this a little bit and think, think about 
what it means to be relational. So, what's that? Yeah, it's not a Pokemon ball. That's whatever I think of when I look at it. I think of Pokemon, even though I never did Pokemon as a kid. So, anyways. <laughs> um, so, we start with, with here. We draw to Christ as servants. And within that, um, there are three ways that we have identified as a church that we do that. Josh and Royce, I'm going to ask you not to chime in, uh, at least initially. So, what church, this is, this is the interaction time, you know, speak up here. What are the ways that we have defined as Red Sea that we draw to Christ? There's three of them. Prayer? Prayer? Yep. One more. We're two for three. Scripture. There we go. Yeah. So, we draw to Christ through Scripture, prayer, and worship. And when we think of these things, we typically think of them as like individually, you know, like I individually read the Scriptures, I pray in my quiet time, and probably the most communal one we think about is worship, you know, Sunday morning, we're, we're worshiping in the gathering. Um, and we, we draw to Christ. So drawing to Christ is a relational thing. It's not something that, um, that we initiated, as we were talking about in this text. God initiated the relationship with us through Jesus. So it's relational is that God draws us in, and we seek God through these ways. Okay? And so um, as I was doing some, some reading for this as well, um, Thinking about prayer. So when we think about these things individually, what is the way that we can think about them corporately? What is the way that we can think about scripture, prayer, and worship in a relational way? Praying with others. Yeah, praying with others. How often do you pray with somebody else? Out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, in home community, yeah, all right? So, prayer with one another out loud, that's a way we can do it relationally. Also with scripture, another way we can do that relationally is that we can be uh, encouraging and, and admonishing one another by the sharing of scripture regularly, or reading scripture together. So, uh, biblically, not many people were literate back in the day, okay? They couldn't read, they couldn't sit down, or let alone, like, have the resources to have a Bible. These things were on scrolls here. Um, so imagine carrying on a backpack full of rolled up scrolls to read your Bible. But the scripture was experienced relationally. They would have somebody that would stand up, and they would read the scriptures out loud to one another. And then they would dialogue, they would talk about the scriptures, they would, they would chew on it together and digest it and work it out. They wouldn't just sit in their room all by themselves and read the scriptures. So we draw to Christ through scripture, prayer, and worship. And then the next uh, identity we have here that we talk about is we develop as family. What are the ways, that, that, the three ways that we've identified that we develop as family? What's that? Celebrating. Yep. <laughs> What's that? That's a good one, but not yet. Yep. <laughs>
Not yet. We share. We share. There we go. One more. Starts with a P. Peacemaking. There you go. So this one's a little easier to think of in terms of relationship, you know. You develop as family. Family is a relationship. Um, relational is implied within all of these. Peacemaking. Relationships can be hard. They can be messy. There can be conflict. So there needs to be peacemaking. Um, God was the ultimate one who made peace with us because of Jesus. Sharing, we share our things, celebrate. It's a lot easier to celebrate when you're doing it with people than if you're doing it alone. <laughs> so these are, this is also relational. So God, um, God created a family. And so when we draw towards God, we understand what it is to develop with one another. Okay? And then complete the circle with deploy. We deploy to culture as ambassadors. What are the, what are the three ways that we do this that we've identified? What's that? A couple of them were already said, so you can repeat those. Hospitality. There you go. Service. Yep. Evangelism. There you go. So we've been harping on that one for the last year now, so I was hopeful that everybody would get it. <laughs> so uh, deploying to culture as ambassadors, that's a relational thing as well. You can't be hospitable without having people over. You can't serve unless there's somebody to be served. And evangelism can't evangelize without people to evangelize. And so as we go around this as well, I'll complete this by doing these arrows too. So it's an inward and an outward. And so it's also, it's circular. So you can't develop in community properly until you've developed with God. So you have to draw to Christ to understand what it's like and how he intends for us to develop in community. And then as we develop in community, we understand how to relate to people so we can go out into culture and have relationships and interact. But if we just go out and interact for no reason, how are we deploying? So there's a relation there. We develop in community so we can go out and deploy into culture. But there has to be intentionality with how we're deploying into culture. So you can't be intentional with evangelism deploying into culture unless you know who God is. Okay? So, they all relate to one another. Drawing to Christ, understanding who he is by scripture, prayer, and worship individually and corporately so that we can go out into the world and have these conversations and know what we're talking about a little bit, right? And relationships are hard, so we practice it here with the people that we know, with the others that we share this common bond with, this, this faith. And, and then that equips us to go out into the culture and to do that relationally. And so there were, there were a couple of quotes that I was, as I was um, doing some reading for this, that I think that, that struck me within these that I wanted to read. So, so Anne mentioned prayer. Um, when you think about prayer, to do it relationally, the prioritize prayer together over praying alone. What would it look like for you to prioritize praying with somebody else or multiple others regularly? 
okay? Home community, that was, that was talked about. That's another great one to do it. But the, what's another way that you could do it? What's another way that you could pray with somebody corporately and regularly? You know, you could get together over coffee. You could have a phone call. I think that's one of the amazing things about a good friend of mine that I have from college. We, we don't talk often, but every time we talk, every conversation ends with us praying together. Every time. And that creates a, a relationship that is, is deeper than just like checking in and saying, hey, how's it going? What's life like in Colorado? No, we're pointing towards, in our relationship, we're pointing towards Christ in that. And then exhorting one another daily with, with, with Scripture. Um, as I was reading about developing community, this, this, one, this one hurt uh, to read. And so uh, the context of it, it was in... Um, Jerry Bridges' book, True Community, as he was talking about it. And he is talking about the sharing of materials and possessions and what we have and, and loving one another. And that there's this privilege and duty of sharing what we have with one another. And he's referencing the context of 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 14, where they have the responsibility of sharing their incomes and liabilities and what they have. And this quote, like stung, that he had here, it says, They were not going to have coffee and donuts together with these people in need. They were going to dig down deep into their pockets to help meet the needs of these believers who shared together with them a common life of Christ. Whoa, right? (laughs) Like, like think about that. These were people that the the church he was talking to in Corinth, they probably were never going to meet these people that they were supplying a need for, or, or, or meeting a need for through financially or whatever provision, okay? But they were united in a bond of faith through Christ, and so there was a need, they saw that need, and they met it, okay? And so I think that, like, this, this stung hard, like, it's, a, it's easy to, like, have coffee with somebody, you know, and then think that you, you check the box of deploying into culture or developing in community, um, it's different when you're suffering, long-suffering with, one, with somebody and you're wrestling through deep things, okay? That takes intentionality. It takes regularity. It takes sacrificing of your time and your resources to engage intentionally with those people. <clears throat> and then evangelism. In the book Total Church um, by Tim Chester and um, Timmons, God, Steve Timmons, um, he, he referenced about evangelism, and he talks about that evangelism does not happen apart from God. So it's relational. We can't just do it on our own. The Word equips Scripture. The Holy Spirit enables, but God does the work. Otherwise, it's just us talking. If you're not being filled with these things by drawing to God and you're going out to evangelize, it's your words that are happening, not God's. But all of this is that it's, it's grace. God does it. God's the one that does the work, okay? We are to be faithful in the action of that work. <clears throat> so each, each aspect of this is relational in and of itself. And our, I think what, what I'm trying to get at here, and I think it's talked about in the text, is that our faith is not something that was ever meant to take place in isolation. We are designed in the image of God to be in community. God, since the beginning, has always existed in community. We're going to get to that later in this series, the Trinity, 
the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, there was never just one. It was always a community from the beginning. And as designed in his image, we're meant to be in a community. So as we talk in verse 12, it, it says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. In their book, Total Church, Tim Chester and uh, Steve Timmons summarize it pretty well when they say, we model and embody God's love for one another. As the church, we're able to manifest that love that God has for us for one another and make it visible in action. They go on to say that I individually have a relationship with God because we as a community have a relationship with God. There are persons, there are individuals of God because there is a people of God. Okay, biblically, what God was doing in restoring humanity is that he was calling a people, a tribe, a nation to himself. Part of that is individually, but it's not, it doesn't stop individually. So, some heavy stuff. But family, we, we do this faith walk side by side. We do it together. We don't do it as individuals. We actively engage God with one another for his glory. And this is all a gift graciously given to us because God loved us and sent his one and only son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the gospel. God came down in the man Jesus Christ, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, shedding his blood for us to cover our sin, and rose victorious over death on the third day, so that we might have victory over death and be able to live with him eternally. So I hope you didn't hear as we were talking that this is a um, do better, try harder sort of thing. I think that what we get caught up on sometimes is that we, we hear this good information, and we, we put it in our head, and we check the box that we've done these things, and then we go out, and we forget it. God calls us to actively engage in this. And so when I think about this, I think um, athletics. Um, being an athlete, like you can, you can sit on the sidelines and like think that you're playing the sport. Until you get up and get in the game, you're not doing it. God's calling us to more. He's calling us to get up and get in the game. And part of that is practice. So if you're an athlete, you can't just get up and get in the game and do it well. You have to spend time doing things beforehand. I was a runner uh, in, in my previous life. <laughs> and as part of that, you would, daily, you would have to run in order to get good at running, to run a race. Imagine that. Um, but also within that, I was a distance runner. And in that, you might think, well, you just need to be good at running far. No, you can't just be good at one aspect of it. Okay? We can't just be good at drawing to Christ and forget these other things. In a race, you have to do all of it. You have to be able to sprint off fast and start well. It's going to get hard, so you have to maintain through the middle. You have to have built some endurance. And then when the finish line is coming, you need to be able to kick hard to catch those other people to get done. And so there are many aspects to that, just like there are many aspects to our faith of drawing to Christ, developing in community, and deploying to culture. And we're not meant to have just a silo of one of those things. Like, yes, we may be good at one one better at one than the other, but we're called to all of them. We're called to do that by community. So I would exhort you to prayerfully consider what this means for you and your family, to sacrificially love one another, 
following the example of how God sacrificially loved us through Jesus. So we end today remembering what that motivation is. Um, That motivation that was given to us because of Jesus. If you are a Christian today, I want to invite you to come up and take communion with us by receiving of the bread and the wine. The bread is a symbol of God's body that was broken for us through Jesus. A body broken so that a body may be created. A body of believers in Christ. His blood was spilt for us. That is the juice and the wine. That's what that represents. His blood was spilt to reconcile us to him. So the blood of his life was sacrificed so that we might have new blood within us and we are united and joined together now as a new people and a new family in Christ because of what he has done. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you so loved us that you sent him that we might have a relationship with you and be reconciled to God. And it was not of anything of ourselves. It was not that we had done something good or made ourselves look pretty. It was because you defined love and you manifested that love in the person of Jesus, reconciling us to you. We thank you so much for that. And God, we admit that we fall short in in displaying that to one another, to community, to deploying into culture, and even in our relationship with you. God, but help us to understand that you are calling us to more. You are calling us to be a relational people with you, to be a relational people with one another, and to be a relational people with culture. And part of that is having relationships, spending time with one another, restructuring our lives. Help us to do that, God. Thank you. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.